hello. Good to see everybody. And uh, if you're new, we want to welcome you. Uh, we love when people come and investigate more about Jesus, more about life, more about family, uh, more about just the meaning of life and the purpose of life. And, and if that's in any realm at all of why you came today, I'm glad you're here because we're going to talk about some of these matters. And uh, it is truly our honor and privilege to be able to proclaim this wonderful and beautiful message called the gospel. Um, so welcome. Uh, this is the second part of this series. Um, so it's still probably going to make sense to you if you weren't here last week. Uh, but if you were here last week, it's going to make a whole lot more sense because this is built upon what we talked about last week. Uh, there was a man by the name of Paul. He, he was a famous man because he became famous for persecuting Christians. And of course, he met Jesus one day, the resurrected, glorified, ascended Jesus. He got to see him firsthand, and it blinded his eyes. So the one thing that he was set on thinking, this, is, this has got to be one of the worst things to come along in a long time, and I'm ready to stamp it out. And then one day, he gets to meet Jesus. Only he first hears his voice. And he says, Paul, Paul, Saul, he calls him Saul at the time. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And that, that's, that's the moment he knew something was up. And he said, Lord, who are you? And he declared his name to be Jesus. I am Jesus. I am the exalted, true son of man, son of God, who has came to deliver all of humanity out of their sicknesses, out of their death, and out of all, their decay, all, all decay and destruction that we, have, we experience today as a real thing, he's the one to deliver us. He's the one to lead us out of that. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that today. So last week, I broke the gospel down into seven acts of Jesus. And I did not really get into detail on the seventh, and we're going to get into that today. Um, so again, if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to that. So I just want to give a little bit of review so the question I have for you once again is, what is the gospel? When the gospel becomes everything, the gospel loses its meaning. Um, we talk about gospel music. We talk about gospel works. We talk about a good basketball player as being the gospel truth. You know, we use the word gospel in all kinds of ways today in our time and culture, but in the biblical sense and in the sense in which we want to proclaim the gospel, there is a very specific context. There's a very specific story that is tied to that word that is so beautiful. It's so big. It's so amazing. And we want to try to untangle and clarify what that's about. So here's my simple definition. It's historical events, something that happened in real time, in real history, on this planet. Real historical events that, when seen in their proper sequence and context, show how Jesus was sent by the Father to become the saving King who now rules forever at the right hand through sending of the Holy Spirit, all this according to God's plan before time, according to the Scriptures. So when we talk about the Bible and we talk about the Scriptures, really what that Bible is about is about showing how God reveals himself through a covenant in order to bring his rule or his kingdom to the earth. Because he sees in mankind, he gave us power and authority. He, he gave his creation over to us. And he saw what we did with it. 
violence. That was one of the most common words in early times was he looked down on the earth and he saw the violence among men. Not just violence in war, but violence even between husband and wife, sons and daughters, uh, family members, people killing one another, people oppressing one another, people lying to one another, people stealing from one another. And when God looked down on that, he just said, it's all violence to me. And I'm going to come back. I'm going to restore the earth and I'm going to restore humanity through a covenant plan that I had started long before time began. And I'm going to begin to show man how that unfolds. So a shorter way to maybe sum up my little definition there is it's simply the story of how Jesus became the saving king according to the scripture. I use that little phrase according to scripture uh, based off of what Paul says. It's kind of a way of saying there's about 10 hours of things I need to tell you. But rather spending 10 hours, I'll just say, according to the scriptures. There's a lot to dig into, and I hope that you'll do that with somebody. Uh, and I would love to do that with anybody who would want to do that. Um, so once again, in review, how does this gospel story really work? It works in a particular way. In other words, if you tell the gospel story and people miss who Jesus is, that he is both God and man, and that he pre-existed time, and that he was a part of the plan between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so when Jesus came into the earth and took on flesh, that is who he is. The story has to reveal who he is, or it's not the gospel. Once you understand who he is, then all the rest begin to come together. You see, when Jesus was baptized, just like you and I, in fact, we're going to have a baptism today. Jesus, what was Jesus doing? Why was he getting water baptized? He was identifying with humanity. Baptism, water baptism, was for those who had sinned against God, broken the covenant, and they needed to be coming back to God. And Jesus says, I identify with humanity. You see, God looks at humanity not just as individuals, but as a corporate body. It's kind of like in a family or in a, even in a nation, right? So if we have people in our nation that go to other nations and they kill people, that nation holds our nation accountable. And God holds all humanity accountable. Think about that. So it's not about how good you are and what you've done right or wrong. I'm sure you've done enough wrong, just like we all have. But God's holding you accountable for all the wrong of all humanity because you're one corporate body. You're one corporate nation. And God has put all of humanity equally in charge of ruling over his creation. And we have made a mess of it. And so when Jesus comes and is baptized, he's saying, I'm a part of the mess. I'm entering into humanity's mess, and I'm going to identify with their mess, but I'm going to be the one to turn the mess around. And so for the next, really the Gospels, which is the Gospel, by the way, so if you think, what is the Gospel? Well, it's the Gospels, according to Mark Matthew, Luke, and John. And those Gospels tell this story of how Jesus then, after his anointing, the Holy Spirit comes upon him, two-thirds of those Gospel books are talking about him proclaiming God's rule. What's it going to be like? What's the nature of it? How's it going to work? How do you enter into it? How do you remain in it? How do you walk in it? How are you a part of it? What, does it do? what happens when God's kingdom comes? And the story's spell this all out. Of course, he raises the dead. He heals the sick. He casts out devils. He speaks the truth. He forgives those that think that forgiveness is not for them. 
And those who think they're in the right, he shows them how they're in the wrong. And so when God's rule and kingdom come, it's coming through him. And the gospel stories are showing you the very heart and the very nature of the way that God wants us all to live. And when we see this perfect example of Jesus, it's good news because finally one of us has showed us the way. Because you can look at me and I can look at you and go, well, I, there's, there's some things that are not right. But when Jesus came, it's good news because he showed finally what the dignity and the calling and the purpose of humanity really was meant to look like. This is why, think about it, over and over again, he'd cast out a devil and the comments in the gospel stories would be, what sort of man is this that even the devils obey him? And then there'd be a storm and, a, and the seas would be raging and he'd say, peace. And again, the comments of those that saw it and were there, what sort of man is this that even the seas and the winds obey him? You see, that's what we were all meant to be. But we turn from God. We've sinned against God. We've sinned against one another. We've brought violence into the earth. And our power and our dignity and our purpose and our identity has been stripped from us. And now it's chaos. But Jesus is saying, this was my original plan for humanity. And so when he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, he's demonstrating it as well as proclaiming it. He then defeats all the other rulers of the earth, all the false rulers, all the evil rulers. He defeats them all. How? Like every other king and ruler? No. In other words, every king and ruler, especially in these times that ever came into power, how did they do it? They killed all their rivals until they were the last one that anybody would be willing to say, okay, I guess he's the king. But Jesus does it just the opposite. You see, he's demonstrating when God rules, this is how it comes. He'll die for humanity. He'll die for the rulers. He'll die for the homeless. He'll die for the leper. And he'll die for the cast out. And so Jesus shows and demonstrates once again what God's rule looks like. In fact, the cross is spoken of oftentimes as the place where Jesus begins to rule. And the whole world looks at it and says, that's foolishness. That's ridiculousness. That's no power. That's defeat. But God says the way forward is not for each of you to try to grab power. It's for each of you to tie a, row, a, a towel around your waist and wash one another's feet. Become each other's servants. And then you're going to find the earth restored. But as long as we all are grabbing for power, then the violence will continue. And we see this, this to this very day. And then uh, the king's new day, he comes back. And for 40 days, what does he talk to them about? He talks to them about the nature of the kingdom. He continues to say, listen, do you remember what I said? Do you remember what I did? Do you remember what, why I did this and why I did this? This is what this now means for you. And all of a sudden, the lights start coming on for them of what he said and how it tied to the Old Testament story and how it spoke of Jesus, Luke 24. And then they watch Jesus ascend. It's not like Jesus went floating off into outer space. What they saw was God's glory presence beginning to manifest in their very midst. And Jesus walked into that cloud and they saw him sit down as to one who would rule over heaven and earth. And his last final words to them was, listen, I'm going to begin to rule over heaven and earth now. Now, how am I going to do that? 
By once again sending in the warring angels and killing people that don't agree with me? No. You fishermen, you tax collectors, you zealots, you ones that just denied me a few days ago, you, you ones, I want you to go and proclaim this good news. I want you to proclaim the good news of the gospel of the kingdom, of what God's rule really is like. And I want you to offer the whole world terms of peace. Because right now, I'm not holding anyone their sins and their trespasses and their violence and their lies. I'm not holding anyone accountable to any of that. Right now is an age of grace where God says, I'm going to send my people, my broken and, 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 and uh, human people, right? Just like you and I. I'm going to send them all throughout the earth to proclaim this message of how I came, of how I lived, how I died, and how I rose again. Tell that story. And Paul, speaking from experience, he began to go all over the Roman Empire. And you know what he experienced? He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For the gospel of Jesus Christ is the very power of God that will lead us all back to restoration, back to salvation, back to our rightful place in the world and with God. And so when that message goes forth, what Paul saw was people would believe it. It was craziness even to him that a king would come and have power and yet he would let himself get crucified? What? And even if he comes back and he's resurrected, okay, so what? What, what does that mean? But somehow when the story is put together in the way that it's put together and people hear it, the Holy Spirit comes and changes the heart to where now I no longer want to live for myself. I want to live for the one who died for me. I want to give my life to him. And in giving my life to him, he says, listen, if you're going to love me, then you've got to love these around you. You cannot say that you love me and are devoted to me unless you love those around you and are devoted to them. And so they would go around through the power of the Holy Spirit and they would proclaim this message and they would make disciples of all nations, bringing everybody from every nation unto obedience. In other words, where they would willingly surrender, bow their knees, confess with their mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord and there is no other. To hail him as king and to say, King Jesus, what is your will? What is your will for my life? What is your will for the church? What is your will for the city? How can I be a part of seeing your will come into the earth and eliminating all this darkness, the drugs, the alcohol, the abuses, the, the rapes, the, 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 the constant violence in our earth, God? Help me to be a vessel that would receive your will and then help me to be a part of bringing restoration, of casting out the darkness casting out the devils, casting out the lies. No longer can I be in allegiance with him and be in allegiance with myself. What I want, what I desire, what, what is selfishly I want for me and me only. I, I can't be in allegiance anymore with myself and my will if I'm going to give my allegiance to him. And so that's what the story is. I'll get to number seven towards the end of this message. So to right now, I want to talk about how do you respond to such a message? And when you share this gospel story with people, how should you be telling it in a way to lead them to how they should respond? And there's a lot of confusion over this. 
And, and part of it is based on what I call trains and trucks. In other words, the Greek words being used were trains. They had lots of cargo. If you just think of coal, if you will, right? Like maybe 50 cars, trains stacked up, coal in every one of them. And that's the Greek word, faith. But then our English word, or it's pistos and pistis and pistu, that's actually the Greek word. But our, our English word, most often translated as faith, is a truck. In other words, it's able to come up to the train and download some of the information, some of the meaning of that word, but only partially so. It takes a whole plethora of English words to actually fully unload the train into all of our English words, trucks. Hopefully that makes sense to you. So this word allegiance, this word loyalty, this word fidelity, faithfulness, faith, belief, trust, obey, is all contained in the proper response to Jesus. You see, when you hear the gospel story and you understand who he is and what he did and how he did it and the nature of the kingdom that he's calling us back to, then you are to, res you are to respond with allegiance. And this is always the way it's been. You may have to skip a slide or two. Uh, skip towards the, uh, the enlistment oath. I want to read this. So our own military in our own country, if you sign up to be a part of the Navy or the Army, this is the, the oath that you have to state. I, if it were me, David Porter, do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. In other words, when you give your allegiance to Jesus, when you understand who he is and you say, I want to have faith in him, I want my life to be saved by him, you have to make an oath to him, stating that you want to defend Jesus, his name, his honor, and his ways with your whole life. And you're, well, you're willing to live for it and you're willing to die for it. Notice what else it says. That I will bear, again, their wording, not mine, not biblical language, even though this is the biblical language for what it is to have faith in Christ. You're to have true faith and allegiance to the same. And that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States. That's a pretty scary commitment. No matter who's in presidency is. You know what I'm saying? Do you see how this is just real world stuff? Jesus is the king. Jesus is the Lord. And you, when you say, I want to believe in him, I want to have faith in him and therefore be forgiven and saved and then enter into the full benefits of what life in his kingdom is all about, just like our military, right? They get lots of benefits by becoming enlisted in the military. Well, guess what? Jesus likewise offers many benefits. But don't get it twisted. It's why I've separated it all out for us. I don't ever present people the benefits of the gospel in order to get them to say yes to Jesus. I present them the story. I present them the gospel of who Jesus is and how he came and the nature of his rule and his kingdom and ultimately what his commands are to you. And then when they say, that's amazing, I want to give my whole life, I want to give my true faith and allegiance to King Jesus, then I say, now, wait a minute. You don't even know the half of it. Let me now tell you about all the benefits. Uh, maybe back up a couple slides. 
uh, to the scriptures where we have 2 Chronicles chapter 29. Here it is in the Old Testament. All the officers and warriors, as well as the kings of David's sons, pledged their allegiance to King Solomon. Now, what do you think that looked like? Right? If they go, yeah, Solomon, you're the king. We pledge our allegiance to you. And then Solomon says, all right, it's time to go to war. That's not for me. No. Whatever he says, I have to embody now my allegiance. I have to embody my faith and say, what do you have to say, Lord? I will go and do. And one of the, 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 two, the greatest commandment is, first of all, to love God with your heart, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as Jesus has loved you. That's the first command of King Jesus. Just a small one. <laughs> Just an easy one. But he says, listen, give me your allegiance and I'll teach you. I'll train you like any government would. I'll train you to be a warrior in love, to deny yourself, to sacrifice yourself, to devote yourself to me and to one another. So if you're going to give your allegiance to me, you got to demonstrate it by giving it to one another. Submitting your lives one to another, loving each other, forgiving each other's sins and debts and the things we've done against each other. This is what faith and allegiance in Christ is. Without that embodiment, then what is that faith, right? Think of a soldier who signs up and he's supposed to show up to boot camp and he's not there. What do they declare that guy? He's AWOL. He's in trouble. He's already broken faith and allegiance to his oath that he swore to. And when you decided to say yes to Jesus and become baptized in the water, you made an oath to God and to one another to say, I will live according to his laws. I will live to defend his ways against foreign and domestic enemies. In other words, anyone and anything that would come in here and try to divide loving of one another, you better believe I'm going to step up to the plate and say, wait a minute, brother. Wait a minute, sister. This is not how we love one another. We, we've got to be al aligning ourselves to be loyal to Jesus. And the way we be loyal to Jesus is by submitting our lives one to another. See, if I just come, there's, there's, we got a real problem in this country with the gospel. It's why we're laying this foundation again. In our city, like most cities in the United States, we have about 60% of people who would say, yeah, I'm, I'm in the kingdom of Jesus. I'm a follower of his. I've given my allegiance. Now, they won't use that term, allegiance, usually. But they'll say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And yet, by their lives, they deny him. And Jesus himself said that this would come. He says, on that day, there's going to become many people and say, Lord, Lord, hey, you've always been my Lord. And Jesus looked at him and says, if you call me Lord, why did you never do what I said to do? You see, there's probably somewhere around a half a million people in our city saying they're a Christian, but by their lives, they deny him utterly. They're not in fellowship with believers. They're not praying for one another. They're not seeking to love one another and give to one another and encourage one another. No, it's a private religion where I get to define my own rules and my own ways and yet have King Jesus give me all the benefits. 
You see, that's a twisting and a distortion of the gospel because it's not the gospel. What it is is saying, hey, sign up for the military and you get free college. I don't have to go to war. Nah, don't worry about all that war stuff. Don't worry about all those commands and, you know, obeying the orders. I mean, that's all legalistic, right? Just the benefits. Okay, great. Who Sign me up. I'll be a Marine. Give me the free college. That's not how it works. You see, it's the same way in the covenant of marriage, right? Some young man comes to me and says, Dave, man, I know one of Jesus' commands that he wants us to be in a committed covenant relationship if I'm going to have sex with a woman. That's true. That's what he says. Well, but I want to have sex anyway. <laughs> well, don't we all? <laughs> well, all right, well, let's just get you married. We'll just marry you tonight. You can have sex tonight. And tomorrow you can marry somebody else and have sex with somebody else. In other words, all the benefits without the commitment, without the covenant. Because when I do that, what do I do to marriage? Don't I very much distort it? Now I've got a young man thinking that marriage is just about having sex. Let me break the news to you. It's not. It doesn't work that way. And not only that, but I've twisted it to say it's all about me getting my needs met. What I want and how I want it, and now whenever I want it. And a lot of Christian men approach their wives that way, and it's disgusting. And it's because we've twisted it. We've twisted the gospel. We've misunderstood the gospel because we have front-loaded all the benefits and really haven't even worried too much about the story. And so we've proclaimed the benefits of the gospel, which is salvation in every area of life, but we've not actually proclaimed the gospel. Notice in Romans when he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Salvation is not the gospel. The plan of salvation is not the gospel. The benefits is not the gospel. The gospel is the story in the seven acts of Jesus and who he is and what he demonstrates and what he calls us to. The salvation part and the benefits part come to those who come to him in true faith and allegiance and to no others. So let's go through another scripture here. They swore their allegiance to the Lord, shouting their approval loudly and sounding trumpets and horns. All Judah was happy about the oath. Notice once again, it's an oath. Because they made the vow with all of their hearts or their whole hearts. Same thing in the New Testament. For as your extremely generous offering, this one church, Gentile church, Jews and Gentiles hate each other. Quick little aside. Killed each other, hate each other. Uh, maybe back, you know, in this country, blacks and whites, you know, hatred. One's abused the other one. That kind of a scenario. That's what's going on here. And Paul's now talking to a Gentile church about giving money to a Jewish church. A pretty touchy issue. But if you're going to have allegiance to Jesus, then you got to have allegiance to one another. And so he says, for as your extremely generous offering meets the approval of those in Jerusalem, it will cause them to give glory to God. Are you kidding me? Gentiles are sending us money? We call them dirty dogs. Like literally, that was the term, those dogs. And now the dogs are sending them money because they're in need. And they're like, only you, God. 
only you. They're giving glory to God all because of your loyal support and allegiance to the gospel of Christ. What would cause these Gentiles to give to the ones who had persecuted them before? Allegiance to Jesus. You see, their allegiance and their faith and their loyalty was embodied with real action. And it brought glory to Jesus, as well as your generous-hearted partnership with them towards those in need. Um, I want to read this now in my own paraphrase. I call it my amplified paraphrase of Romans 1, verses 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the saving King Jesus, for it is the power of God for the purpose of salvation. For everyone who gives their allegiance to the saving King, Jesus. It is for the Jew first, but also for the Greek. For it is in the covenant faithfulness of God. In other words, God had made a promise to do this. And he ultimately demonstrated himself faithful by sending Jesus, his son, to accomplish it. So God's covenant faithfulness is revealed by God the Father because of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ the Son so as to bring about our faithfulness and loyalty and allegiance to King Jesus, just as it is written, the just shall live. Many, many translations just have the word faith. But again, that word faith has all this meaning packaged in it. It's a train, not a truck. The just shall live out their loyal allegiance to Jesus as their saving king. That's what it is to have faith in Jesus. That's how it's demonstrated in the life. Um, I think I want to talk about the benefits now. So the benefits talk about, again, salvation is kind of the big word. It's kind of the catch-all word. So when you give your faith and allegiance to Christ or you give your loyalty to your wife, it's the same kind of thing, loyalty to Christ in a covenant relationship. Am I a perfect husband? No. But am I a loyal husband? Yes. You see the difference? Uh, are any soldiers perfect soldiers? No, they're going to make mistakes. But when the bullets start flying, do they fight for their brother in the foxhole? Or do they run away? Or yet worse, go to the other side and become a spy. You see, when we engage in acts of darkness, sexual immorality, lying, violence, uh, on and on, oppression, uh, insincerity, rudeness. We're being spies. We're going to the other side and fighting against the kingdom of Christ. This is why when we sin, he says, you need to repent. You need to change. You need to say, okay, wait a minute. I, I, I thought about going to the other side for a moment, but now I remember this is the side to be on. Forgive me, please. See, that's what repentance and forgiveness is all about. So salvation, it comes with forgiveness, justification, atonement, mercy. You're made royal. You're made into a priesthood. You're made to be a king. You're set free. You're empowered. He promises you this whole, huge, full inheritance both now and to come. He's going to give you honor. He's going to give you glory, just like they always do to faithful soldiers. Love to become a partaker of the divine nature. Ultimately, you're going to come into Christ. So that everything that is true about him becomes true about you. Just as God would honor the son, now that you have faith and allegiance in Christ, 
he now sees you in the Son. So that now your position and your power and your authority is the same, that of Jesus. This is why he says, when you pray in my name, I will do it. When you truly come into me and you understand my will and you ask for it to be done in the earth, I will do it. That's the power and authority. That's the responsibility you've been given. It's also a benefit. It's also a privilege and an honor. Every benefit comes with a responsibility. Here's how it works. I'll freely forgive you of all your wrongs. Right? Jesus tells a parable like this. The guy comes to the king. He owes a big debt. He forgives him. And then he goes straight from there to a fellow slave and says, hey, man, you owe me 20 bucks. Pay up. The guy says, hey, I, I don't got it right now, but if you'll just be patient with me, I'll pay it back. Nope. To jail with you. And then the king hears about it. He says, what? I forgave him millions. And he threw a guy in jail for 20 bucks. Go get him. Bring him to me. <laughs> you don't want that phone call. You don't want it. You see, it's a benefit. You're forgiven freely. It's by grace. But it's also a responsibility to pass it on. Everything he gives you then also then becomes a responsibility for you to give it to others. How much mercy has he shown you and yet you show your wife no mercy? You show your friend no mercy. You show your coworker no mercy. That demonstrates you must not understand the mercy you received. Did you really have faith in him? Because if you had received mercy and you had received forgiveness, wouldn't you want to freely offer that to others? See, faith is about embodiment. You have to embody it, receive it, so that you can then give it away. And finally, just like any soldier, right, once you sign up, once you give your allegiance, once you make your oath of allegiance, they give you a uniform. Now all the world knows who you are. And Jesus says, I too am going to clothe you in white garments. Now, we're all dressed and colored and different things, but he's saying in the Spirit, he's going to let the Holy Spirit come into you and he's going to clothe you. And from God's perspective, you're all robed in white garments. Now he says, keep them white. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And if they get dirty, come to me and I'll wash them free of charge. He, another benefit is free laundry. Jesus gives out free laundry. You bring him your dirty clothes, all your cluttered stuff, and he cleans them up and gives them right back to you. And then he says, oh, look. Before you take that set of laundry, I heard your brother sinned against you. He's got a lot of dirty laundry against you. Maybe you ought to go try and clean it up. You see how that works? That's how the rule of Christ comes to the earth. It's not by tanks. It's not by voting. It's not by money. It's not by power. It's not by superior intellect. It's by a changed heart. One that loves God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And by the way, the word strength in Hebrew means all your resources. Everything you got, you give it up to God for the sake of his kingdom. You be wise. Don't foolishly do things or give away things in foolish ways. But when God shows you to give and to serve and to love and to forgive, then you got to do it. Okay? He makes you holy 
and he calls you a saint. Everyone who's, kid, who's put faith and allegiance in Christ is made a saint. I would encourage you, I don't have time today, study the, the Bible for the word saint. Find out what a saint is, what a saint does, and what the benefits and honor of a saint really are. It's amazing. It's truly amazing. So finally, I want to end on number seven. There's a list of scriptures up here. So once again, what I'm trying to do for you guys is there's obviously no way, keep going to the next uh, slide there, towards the, the last one. Um, the only way to see it is to put it all together. And so I'm giving you the scriptures up here to say, hey, this is where I'm getting this, but here's what happens. So Jesus, once again, his final command is, hey, I'm gonna pour out my spirit, and now I'm sending you out to make disciples of all nations, teaching them how to give faith and allegiance to Jesus. That's what you've been called to do. If you're not actively planning and purposing and praying and doing it with others, then you're really not doing what Jesus had called you to do. So think about that. And Jesus says, for those that do that throughout time, when I return, I'm going to reward you. You see, if you suffer for me, then you're going to reign with me. But if you deny me, I will deny you. That's what Paul says in Timothy. Very clear. You deny me by the way you live, and I'll deny you. But if you give your faith and allegiance to me, then, and you suffer for my namesake, then I'll let you rule with me. So he comes, and resurrection power floods everyone, believer and non-believer alike, so that everyone knows the truth. Every knee bows, every tongue confesses. Now imagine, think about a person, maybe through their younger years, they uh, get into drugs and alcohol, and they beat their wife and just cause a wreck of it, and they beat their children, and finally the, the judge says, hey, you can no longer be around your family. And then he gets his life all cleaned up, all straightened up. He's, man, he's living good. He's serving other people now. He's learning to love. But there's a, he can't be with his family. Think about it. He's in a good state now. And he has to watch his kids grow up and be raised by another man. He's lost his inheritance. That, there's 100,000, there's not 100,000, but there's several different descriptions about what this hellish experience is going to be for those who do not give allegiance to Jesus. And over and over again, it points to the loss of privilege and benefit and inheritance. And yet, they will know fully now, even as God is fully known. In other words, it's like that drunk guy that's now finally sober, and he's ready to put his family back together. But because of what he did prior, he has to only watch it from afar. He's, as the Bible says, he is cast out of the city into outer darkness, and he has to sit there and weep as he sees before him the beauty of the city and all the celebration and the honor of the saints who died for the name of Jesus while he denied the name of Jesus. That's what the final day of judgment's gonna be. It's said in many different ways. Go to those passages of scripture and look it up. Everyone will be judged for what they've said, done, and thought. And it will be a righteous judgment because everybody will be judged on only one thing. See, it's, you're not judged based on all of your works. You're judged on one. Did you give faith and allegiance to Jesus Christ? It doesn't matter how many mistakes. 
Did you give your allegiance to him? Did you give your whole life to him? Did you love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do you get the difference? That's what it is to be baptized. That's what it is to say Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. And I invite all of you to dig into the gospel more. I've laid the foundation only. I've just skimmed the surface. There's so much more to tell, and I'm running late as it is. <laughs> so please, if any of you have questions, if you want to dig in or discover this more, myself or Brian or Jack or many others here would love to have those conversations and talk about Jesus and talk about what life in him is all about. Jack's going to talk about that in the next two weeks as well. So, Father... This gospel is so amazing, and yet it's serious business. It's very serious business. In fact, you gave us this little uh, bread and wine, this little bread and juice thing, and you said, now listen, you've given me faith and allegiance. Now every time you get together, eat this bread. It's my broken body for you. Drink this juice. It's my blood poured out for you. When you eat this, remember the oath you gave to me. Remember the allegiance you gave to me. Don't forget me. Love me and love one another. And so we invite you to come forward now. Take of this bread once again. Take of this juice once again. And remember what it means. It means once again today, I lay down my life. I give my faith and allegiance to King Jesus once again because he is worthy. He is worth all of it. And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.